Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant, as far as I know, in his first incarnation uh, as a podcaster, at least, right? Possibly before no, no. you were a dolphin. I know. I was a podcaster in the Ming Dynasty, little known fact. There, really? Uh huh. When was the Ming Dynasty? It was when the first podcast was created by me. You know who created the first podcast, don't you? Oh, that guy from MTV? Yeah, Adam Curry. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Is he, he still was around? He's a pioneer in our field. Yeah. Yeah. We should jump him and beat him up, give him the old pillowcase treatment. No, we should salute <laughs> him. Hats off. Oh, yeah, that too. By the way, Chuck, did you notice in iTunes that you and I are in a special room uh-huh. where we are basically referred to as pioneers? Yeah. Podcast turns five. Yeah. Awkward to I say. Guess, so Adam Curry started uh, what five years ago? Twenty years after Ghostbusters. Ah, very nice. No, twenty-one years. Nice work. Let's get to it, shall we? Yes. Have you heard of a kid named um, James Leninger? No. So let's see. He's eleven now, I guess, and he lives in the United States. I don't know what state. I'm sure, we could find out. One of the 50. Yes. Um, and he, around the age of two, started having um, these crazy nightmares. And uh, he always had a, an affinity for airplanes. But around the age of two, things turned a little bit dark. And he started you know, waking up screaming things like, um, playing on fire, playing on fire, or something like that. Is that the kid sitting next to you? When you flew to uh, New York? No, that okay. kid was, he was just a punk. This kid was gotcha. was traumatized, you could say. He knew a lot about planes. Uh-huh. Uh, his parents started noticing that he um, would do kind of pre-flight checks when he was playing with his airplanes. He he could point to parts of planes. His, his mom thought a uh, um, a fuel tank called uh-huh. a drop tank was a, a, a bomb attached to the belly of a toy plane. And he's like, no, that's a drop tank. And he was just a little kid at the time, right? Wow. Um, and after a while, his his the things he's, he were he was talking about started to get a lot more specific. Chuck, he talked about um, going down in a Corsair that he used to fly. Oh, well, I see where this is headed. He talked about how Corsair uh, the the Corsair he flew his tires would always go flat, uh-huh. which uh, is kind of a little known fact unless you're a World War II pilot or worked on a flight deck. Sure. Uh, and then he finally said that he went down near Iwo Jima okay. in a plane and that his plane had gone down from taking a direct hit in the engine. And by this time, this kid's like five. Right. Right? Um, and so he, he said that he had been flying off of the Natoma, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so his father started to get a little bit obsessed with this and started researching the Natoma and found that there was a Natoma Bay, an aircraft carrier, um, that was off the coast of Iwo Jima during the raid on Iwo Jima uh, in uh, March of 1945. And there was indeed a guy uh, whose name was James M. Houston Jr. And he was the only one to die uh, in this raid on Iwo Jima from... Hit in the engine? Direct hit in the engine. Wow. Went down in his Corsair. Is that a movie yet? Not yet. Should be. So the kid's getting older. His, um, His memories are fading. 
that was this was 2005 the article and his memories uh-huh. were already fading oh wow apparently they hit their pinnacle at about three two to five something like that crazy uh, and a, a lot of researchers are saying, you know, the parents have deluded themselves. They've deluded him. They've really kind of encouraged this, and they're seeing things that aren't there. But obviously, his parents think that this kid is the reincarnation of this other guy named James, the one who went down in 1945 in his Corsair, right? Sounds plausible to me. It is. It, it, there's a lot of people out there that would say that it doesn't sound plausible, especially people in the Western world, but you go a little further east, a little past the um, Greenwich date line, right? (laughs) Right? Uh Uh, And you will find a a billion and a half, two billion people who believe in reincarnation, right? Yeah. Well, wait, is that a billion and a half? That's just uh, Hindus and Buddhists, right? Or is that everybody? No, no, that's just, there's like a billion people in China alone. Right. Yeah. But I don't know that all of them are Buddhists. Yeah, but many more people believe in reincarnation than the Hindus and Buddhists. So you will, you cross the international date line, go a little further east, yeah. you're going to find billions of people. <laughs> okay. Billions of people. Yeah. Starting in Central Asia and moving eastward. And us stodgy Westerners are always the ones going, yeah, I don't know about that folksy remedy yeah. or I don't know about that coming back as someone else. Well, one of the reasons why is because we view time uh, as a in, in a linear motion. There's no going back. There's no yeah. You know, there's no coming back to do it again and again. You know, there's no rebirth. Uh, most of the religions over here are monotheistic. Sure, you got a heaven after you die. Yeah, your life on earth is to sort of gain entry into heaven mm-hmm. or and, hell. And on the on the other side of the world, um, in in among cultures that believe in reincarnation, time is generally viewed as cyclical. Right. Uh, which makes for, you know, coming back again and again right. uh, as a lot more plausible, right? Yeah, I did find a thing about uh, Christianity, though. There are some people who think that reincarnation may have been an early tenet of Christianity, but it was misinterpreted and or just flat out kind of lost over the years. Yeah, are you talking about the Cathars? Well, it's just I mean none of it can be proven obviously. And then parts of Judaism, the um Kabbalah and Hasidic Jews believe in reincarnation. Yeah, let's talk about that. First, let's talk about Asian views of reincarnation. All right? Okay. There's a lot of really interesting similarities across cultures as far as reincarnation goes. And the earliest, well, the oldest active religion right now is uh, Hinduism, yeah. right? Oldest surviving religion. Right. Sure. I think you could make a case that Zoroastrianism is older, but I don't know that you could say that that's actually surviving. Yeah. <laughs> it, at the very least, it's not thriving like Hinduism is, no. right? So, Chuck, how long has reincarnation been around? It hasn't been around forever like people would think. It's actually... It's fairly new, right? Yeah, fifth, fifth and seventh century uh, BC. Yeah, BCE. Sure, yeah. <laughs> we get yelled at every time we use that, don't we? Yeah, sometimes. Okay, and they were in the Upanishads, right? Which were these Hindu, ancient Hindu texts where reincarnation was first really spelled out, right? Right. And they don't think that it was around prior to this because um, there's a lot of evidence that in like burials that people believe that 
this individual person went on to another life. So they would bury like um, their hunting materials or the sure. Aryan societies would burn the wife alive when they cremated the husband. So they were together in the next life. Right. So then reincarnation first pops up around, you know, the 5th to 7th century or the 7th to 5th century BC, right? Yes. So what are we talking about when it comes to Hinduism? Like what are what's the basis of, of reincarnation? Well, I mean, in its original Latin translation, it means entering the flesh again. So that pretty much speaks for itself, I think. Mm -hmm. And Hinduism, it's all about uh, the acceptance of samsara, which uh, that literally means wandering on. And from what I gathered, it's more of an answer to what are we doing? Like the eternal question is, what are we doing? No way. Not where are we? A lot of people think it's like, you know, where you are at your station, but it's really, what are you doing? Right. And so uh, basically it's, um, and it's sort of the same in Buddhism, we'll get into that, but it is, there, it's not an, a continual cycle for all of eternity. There is a goal right. that you eventually want to break the cycle and reach an end point. And in Hinduism, it's called uh, moksha, is that right? Yeah, that's how I took it. Yeah. And that's, ba that's salvation, right? Yes, it means release literally released so to be released from your cycle is how i took it so with uh hinduism you achieve moksha through karma right and karma is this very karma. it's this very it's that's as misused as socialism these days i think yeah. at least here in the west right um it, karma is basically this impersonal law where if you carry out good actions yeah. You become good. Yeah. If you carry out um, evil actions, you become evil, right? Right. So according to how you live your life is the kind of karma you accrue, and this karma accumulates from life to life. Uh -huh. And ultimately when, I guess, the good enough of the good karma is accrued, if you will. Sure. Um, and I don't think it's as black and white as good or bad karma right. necessarily, but, but once you accrue this, this type of of favorable karma, um, you're you're ultimately loosened from your human form, and you're not going to be reborn again. You're going to go join the Brahman, right? Yes, and that is the the absolute god of the Hindus, right? The so big cheese. You become one with yes. it. Yes, I guess a part of it. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, and but karma is not controlled by that god. It's not controlled by any god. No, right. It's this like universal law like thermodynamics or something like that. Yeah, it's not like God says, uh, I'm going to, you know, you've earned this or you haven't earned that. Right. He's just like, he's like a dealer in Vegas. Like, I got nothing right. to do with this, buddy. This is all about <laughs> That's you. That's the second time we've done that. In Called clearing things. your hands. Clearing your hands. Right. Or tapping yes. out. Um, Chuck, I find that really, really interesting and kind of um, uplifting that there is this... Uh, God, this almighty, powerful God in the Hindu religion. And then there's, of course, like tons of other gods. Right. Right. Um, but the, it, this this all-powerful God can't do anything about this cosmic law of karma. It's up to the individual's actions. I just find that endlessly appealing. Sure. That it's up to you how you live your life, whether or not you're going to achieve moksha or not. Yeah. That's. I just think that's super cool. Absolutely. You know? Because your actions should reflect you know, how you end up. And I think it creates your station in life as well, right? Well, yeah, if you do enough, I guess if you accrue enough good karma, you may end up in a higher caste yeah, sure. in another incarnation here on Earth. Right. Right? Sure. But then there's no 
heaven or hell or anything after after you do hit moksha, right? It's right. just being a part of the Brahman. Right. Okay. Which is the Buddhist equivalent of, or the Hindu equivalent of the Buddhist nirvana, right? Right. So moksha is one of four primary Hindu goals, right? Yeah, the final goal. That's the final. The first one, and it's almost kind of like this um, this transcendence. Uh-huh. And it starts with this very base goal of desire, where you want to have sex, or you want wealth, or you want fame, or something like that. Right. Uh, and then you move to wealth, Artha, which actually is... Kama was the first one. Right. I'm right? sorry. Yes. K-A-M-A. Right. It's and not then, like you were saying C-O-M-M-A. Right. K-A-M-A. Yeah. Uh, and then Artha, A-R-T-H-A, uh-huh. uh, is wealth. And it's not like a bad thing. It's not like our concept of wealth. It's you want to accumulate wealth so you can take care of your family right. or do good for other people, that kind of thing. Sure. So that and the Western concepts of wealth are not necessarily one and the same. Then you have Dharma, righteousness, right? And then after that, you achieve moksha. And I think there's an interplay. I don't see. I don't think it's necessarily graduated. There's that linear thought progression again right. in the West. I think they're all kind of intertwined, right? I think so, too. But you led us to uh, Buddhism, and I trampled all over that segue. So That's let's okay. go back to it, buddy. <laughs> I believe that we said that moksha would be the Hindu equivalent of the Buddhist nirvana. Excellent segue, Chuck. And uh, Buddhism is about 2,500 years old. And uh, it's kind of their concept of reincarnation is much the same as Hindu. In fact, they got it from the Hindu. Yeah. So they believe in karma. They believe in good karma and bad karma. They believe in uh, samsara and rebirth. And uh, they also believe in the in-between which is uh, between the afterlife, after death, and before birth. Right. That's actually bardo in the Tibetan tradition. Oh, okay. Is it? So, yeah. You, there's, a, there's a... It's basically... An, yeah, you can't really call it an afterlife, right? You call it an in-between life. Yeah. And so, Chuck, this, this thing that exists in between life and also in life and what dies as well... Um, Buddhists consider a germ of consciousness, and I just made air quotes, right? Right. So that starts in the womb, um, and it, it, you live, you die, you generate karma uh, based on how you live. But the point of life to Buddhists is suffering. Yes, it's Li- part of the, the Four Noble Truths, right? which is uh, suffering exists, suffering mm-hmm. arises from attachment to desires. Right. Suffering ceases when attachment to desire cease, mm-hmm. and freedom from suffering is possible by practicing the Eightfold Path. Right, and the Eightfold Path was um, something that was um, created by the Buddha Siddhartha, right, who was born around 563 B.C. Yes. And he was born into a uh, life of opulence and wealth and privilege. He had it very easy, but he noticed fairly early on, I get the impression he was something of a prodigy, um, that he wasn't achieving much spiritual progression yeah. through this life of wealth. So he went off, and he did what, Chuck? Uh, well, when he was 29 years old, he left and said, I'm going to practice uh, yogic training. Mm-hmm. And he basically abandoned all that and sat under a tree. And, he he uh, lived the life of a hermit. Yeah. So you know me, Chuck. You know how I feel about 
Buddhists going off and living in the cave by themselves and not contributing anything to humanity. Right. Right. And this is what Siddhartha tried. And did he gain enlightenment from this? No, he was, I guess you could say he was in your camp. He didn't, um, I'm not going to say he didn't get much out of it because I wasn't there, (laughs) but he ultimately did not gain enlightenment that way. And he thought, you know what? Maybe a mix of both is a good thing. And maybe we should call that the middle way. And maybe that's the way to be. Right. And it's called the eightfold path, right? So he achieves enlightenment and he immediately starts telling other people about it. And he said that there's this eightfold path that is basically, it's, in the middle between excess and self-deprivation, right? Right. So what are the eight the eight parts of the Eightfold Path? Well, this is broken down into three qualities. Uh, the wisdom, or panna, mm-hmm. is uh, right view and right thought. Okay. Uh, you got morality, which is right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Sure. Uh, then you have meditation, which is right effort, right mindfulness, and right contemplation. Very nice. So basically, you put all those together, you are living the right life that's going to deliver you to nirvana, right? Yeah, which is the middle way. Right. Sounds pretty easy. I'll bet it's extremely difficult. <laughs> I think so, too. You know? Well, there, it's, it's difficult because there's something called hindrances, and they actually list these out, which in, you know, it's probably no surprise that one of them is lust. Uh, one of them is aversion to ill will. You have sloth and torpor, which, you know, who wants to be involved with torpor? <laughs> uh, restlessness and worry and skeptical doubt. And then there are seven <laughs> factors of enlightenment, which are mindfulness, investigation, energy, rapture, twang- tranquility, <laughs> concentration, and equanimity. So, yeah, not so easy. No, I wouldn't think so. I mean, think about it. You think about avoid those and then do those, though. It does sound easy, but you know how life is. I'm sure if you, like, you know, zig to the left, you zag right into, you know, some sort of temptation. Or, you know, if you close yourself down to the possibility of, you know, um, being exposed to wealth or whatever, you're missing out on being able to help other people. Yeah. You know, there's sure. there's probably a lot of um, pitfalls to that that way of living, which is why I issue the whole thing. Yeah. Well, Siddhartha believed it. He uh, wandered in around India for like 45 years teaching this, and until uh, he died at the age of 80. And you know what his last words were? Tell him I said something cool. <laughs> no, he did say something cool. He said, "Impermanent are all created things. Strive on with awareness. Party on." Is basically what he said. <laughs> Party on, Garth. Wow. Yeah. Nice last words, huh? Yeah, they are. Uh, have you ever wondered what yours will be? Uh, I have a feeling mine are going to be holy. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be my last two words. Yeah. Mine will be probably, you got me, copper. <laughs> <laughs> are you going to revert back to your bad boy ways? Just for one last. And die in a shootout. <laughs> Suicide by cop. It reminds me of the end of Royal Tannenbaums when they show the gravestone. <laughs> it said he died heroically saving yeah. his family from a sinking <laughs> ship. Yeah. Um, all right, Chuck. Some of the stuff that we've been talking about may sound kind of familiar. If you live the right way, you can stop coming back to this existence that, you know, we call Earth. Right. Life on life on this planet, right? Sure. 
it, it kind of bears a striking resemblance to the Judeo-Christian ethic of, you know, if you live this right life, if you're good to other people, you don't hurt other people or other things, you're not a cruel person, um, and you kind of not you don't pursue worldly objects, you're going to uh, have a better afterlife, right? Yeah, but it's... You know, in Christianity, obviously, it's a permanent afterlife. Right, because reincarnation. Here's the thing: like, there's a there's a very there's a similarity between the Judeo-Christian outlook and, and uh, Muslim as well, because they believe in the afterlife yeah. as well. That the soul is immortal; that there's something in us that lives on after the physical body dies. Right. Where it differs and disagrees is specifically with reincarnation, where you come back. Right. And you inhabit some body on this earth again. Right. That's the that's the difference. That's reincarnation right there, right? It has nothing to do yeah. with the immortality of the True. soul. Well, it has everything to do with the immortality of the soul. But as far as comparative religion goes, right. the, the difference is you don't keep going straight. You come back. Yeah. Because, ah, oh, you screwed up. I took a, a comparative religion class in college, and here's a little secret, Josh. Don't tell anybody. <clears throat> But they're all kind of the same. I know. And do you want to know why? I have my theory. Let's hear it. Are we going to go there? <laughs> here's yeah. my here's my theory. Okay. Man evolved into man mm-hmm. from whatever. And uh, man started to, as soon as man could think, man started questioning why they were there on earth looking mm-hmm. for a purpose. And that's where religion sprung up. And that's why they're all very similar when you break down the tenets of world religions is people fractured and split off into different areas and right. they evolved differently. But at the root of it, I think it began with man walking upright and looking at, you know, the sun and saying, mm, why sun there? Yeah. I, I think I subscribe to something very, um, why river run? Right. I think, I think it was, um, born though, Chuck out of the first time somebody witnessed someone else die I, I, okay, and realized that, that that's going to happen to me one day. What happened to Talk Talk? Right. Now, there's a if you if you look at um, religious scholars' work, most of them will tell you that reincarnation was born out of um, watching the seasons change, especially right. for because because these were um, agricultural societies that started giving sure. rise to religion like this, right? Well, and the whole cyclical thing it makes sense. The Earth rotates, the seasons rotate in a cycle, right? So that makes sense. The I guess the commonality, like you said, people started to split up. Right. It, I don't know that it's necessarily that it happened, and then I'm, I, I see what you're saying, like with religion in general. Right. But with something like say reincarnation, or these really, you know, lead a good life, and then there's oh, yeah, this sure. reward after this. I think it was from cultures uh, having an influence on one another by living near one another. Remember, we did um, that podcast on whether the Greeks got their ideas from the Africans. Yeah. Well, this apparently is another example of that. The, right. Uh, African mystery system, the Kemetic mystery system that uh-huh. we talked about in uh, Egypt. Um, one of the big guys who formed a mystery system. The big guys? <laughs> well, one of the big cult founders. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, his name was Pythagoras. Remember him? The Pythagorean yeah. theorem? So we're going to get into the mystery religions a little bit? Yeah. He spent several decades in Africa and came back and the next thing you know he's founding mystery cults. Orpheus, the Orphic um the Orphic mystery cults 
founder. Well, he's supposedly a mythical figure, but they also think he may be an actual historical figure. The music legend? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. If he was real, there's part of his legend is that he went and spent 20 years in Memphis studying from the Egyptians. So you kind of get the idea that a lot of the um, ideas of rebirth and reincarnation went from the Hindus to the Egyptians to the Greeks. And then... Remember we talked about the Jefferson Bible being written, or the Bible being written by the Platonics? Yes. That Plato uh, was derived from these mystery cults who believed in reincarnation. And actually some Catholic cults, early Catholic cults, um, believed in reincarnation as well, like the Cathars. Yeah, well, Orphism sounds a lot like heaven and hell to me because he believed, or they believed, that leading a, a correct life leads you to Elysium. Mm-hmm. which is like a paradise, and if you're evil, you'll go to a hell. Right, but you can die in the afterlife as well. Well, yeah, it doesn't and stop come there. Back. That's, that's the main difference. You have to lead three good Orphic lives yeah, to, to, stop the cycle. to get out of there. And what what is leading a good Orphic life, Chuck? This horrible, horrible Orphic life. Uh, well, no, no wine, mm-hmm. no sex, mm-hmm. no meat. Right. Vegetarianism yeah. is good. Yeah. So, yeah. Those are a few of the tenets. Uh, which is strange because this uh, this is this Orphic cult was actually an offshoot of the Dionysian cult, and they believed quite the opposite. They would rip a goat um, to death, to yeah. shreds, a live goat to shreds. With their teeth. As part of their sacrifice, their yeah. ritual sacrifice. They'd get drunk as they could on wine. They'd have sex and orgies, and they'd yeah. just eat everything, right? Yeah. And, he, and apparently... Orpheus went to Memphis and came back and said, hey, I, I know what you guys are trying to do, and that's a good idea, but you're doing the opposite of what you should be doing. Let's start leading this puritanical life. And that led to this this um, kind of idea that denying yourself was a, a good way toward being a pure person. Right. I think you were starting to lead us down the road a minute ago about uh, uh, Jainism. Yeah. There's a couple of other Indian religions, Jainism, and I always thought it was Sikhism, but I also saw something that said that's a common mispronunciation, and that it's like Sikhism. Nice. I don't know if that's right or not. Way to go the extra mile, Chuck. Well, who knows? You know, it's on the internet. It might not be true. <laughs> but uh, Jainism, they uh, think that your soul accumulates karma as a bad thing. It's an actual substance, physical substance, and that karma is never good karma is always bad yeah so your goal is to rid yourself of karma right on here on earth yeah and if you have these karmic particles then your soul's always going to bind to a body right yes so if you can get rid of the karmic particles you're all right um right i also mentioned the cathars right these were this was um they were from south france and spain i believe and they're the reason the spanish inquisition was founded because they were considered this the heretical sect of Catholicism when basically they were vegetarians, they believed in reincarnation they were highly they followed this highly neoplatonic tradition right? Um, and they accused the Roman Catholic Church of being um, the antichrist branch of Catholicism Right. the Roman Catholic branch proved stronger, started setting up stakes, burning cathars at them and basically ran them out of um, existence, but they believed in um, you know that you shouldn't eat meat, that you right. could come back as as a human or an animal, um, 
and that they they were just kind of a kinder, gentler version of Catholicism, a little less bloodthirsty. <laughs> so, Chuck, um, we talked about the West being generally incredulous of this kind of thing, right? There is a sterling exception as far as Westerners go of you know believing in reincarnation, and that exception took the form of a guy named Dr. Ian Stevenson, right? Yeah, well, he studied it. He never said that he believed it was true. He just wanted to believe it was, or wanted to prove that it was at least a possibility. Mm-hmm. So he spent his life pretty much until he died in 2007 trying to do so. Uh, founded the Division of Personality Studies at UVA. Right, which uh, became, I guess it was originally called the Division of uh, Perceptual Studies, right? Well, no, it later became the perceptual studies. I get confused sometimes. Yeah, it was originally personality studies, and uh, he was a Virginia Cavalier? Yeah. Is that right? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Go Cavs. And uh, he had a lab, basically, where he studied uh, near-death experiences. He studied children, mainly. Two to five? Young kids who, um, you know, to kind of like your kid that you talked about at the beginning. Two to five. Who had these stories that um, could not be explained and ways that made sense other than perhaps they were reincarnated yeah um there's there's been tons and tons and tons of cases some are easily explained away others aren't but stevenson apparently investigated about 2500 of them yeah over 40 years yeah but he was pretty much shot down by mainstream uh his peers he was and he uh he was a true fortian actually he was um he wanted to apply the scientific method to uh, the supernatural, right? right? He, he just basically believed things that were considered supernatural were just things that couldn't be explained by science right now. But like you said, he was basically pushed to the fringe just because of his studies. Right. Uh, but there's a lot of people out there that think he was successful in, in proving that it is possible for reincarnation. Like the kid uh, who thought he was a World War II pilot Stevenson would never say like whether he believed in reincarnation, anything like that. But right. um, about in like I think 1967, he went out and bought a lock, a combination lock, and set the combination himself, and then used a mnemonic device to remember the combination, and he stored the lock away. And he always said that the reason why he did this, he wanted to see if he could. Um, transmit the information the mnemonic device to somebody who could then go uh, unlock this lock after he died right and so far nobody's unlocked the lock yeah right? been three years but i don't know that, that disproves anything do you no of course not it, uh, it it proves that no one's unlocked the lock yet nice Chuck. very That's diplomatic all. we're gonna get you a uh, job in the foreign service you got anything else reincarnation yeah uh the uh, Chinese government, did you know they banned reincarnation without permission from the Chinese government? I think I have heard that, actually. <laughs> when? Was this like a few years back? Yeah, they, uh, China likes to ban things, as we all know, and they banned reincarnation without uh, consent from the Chinese government. And basically, basically it's a way to uh, keep the Dalai Lama from reincarnating and saying, this is the next Dalai Lama. Mm-hmm. Basically, he won't have permission to do so, so China will be able to choose the next Dalai Lama. And the current Dalai says, obviously, he said many times, I am not going to come back as long as uh, China is in power over Tibet. (laughs) 
So he's boycotting reincarnation. I don't know if he's so much boycotting it, but he's... Um, he's going to end up here? Well, I guess he is boycotting it. He says he refuses to be reborn huh. until that happens. So yeah, that sounds like a we'll boycott. See. But what's happening is, I mean, when he dies, it's going to be a little hinky because potentially there might be two Dalai Lamas. The one China appoints and the one, you know, the 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 real one, huh. I would call it. That will be awkward if they ever meet. Yeah. Or if they met Shirley MacLaine. Remember that stuff? Sure, yeah. When she claimed that she was reincarnated and she had sex with uh, Charlemagne. I didn't hear about the Char- Charlemagne part. Yeah. Well, she said she she actually did have an affair with the Swedish prime minister, uh, Olaf Palm, and he, she said he was Charlemagne reincarnated. Crazy. So supposedly she says she got it on with Charlemagne. Well, if you want to know more about Charlemagne or reincarnation or the Dalai Lama, we got tons of those articles. Um, just come up with some good keywords and put them in the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, which means it's time for, Chuck, is it listener mail? Are we back to listener mail? We are. All right. It's time for listener mail. Uh, quickly, we want to support our Kiva team real quick beforehand. Yes, we need to this. mention this because so it's been a while. We're trying to get to $250,000 um, by August. Oh, I don't know. August. Let's say the end of August. Was it, I think it was 26th. We can just say the end of August. The, the end of August. Yeah. Right? Um, and we are plugging along. I think we're at about 170 right now. $170,000 raised by the stuff you should know. Kiva team, yeah, right? Which is far and away, all stats aside, far and away the greatest Kiva team ever assembled, right? Agreed. So we're trying to get to 250K. This is not an exclusive team. Uh, So if you want to join, you can donate in increments of $25. You um, donate as a loan. It's repaid. You don't make any interest back, but I mean, you get your $25 back. Um, And it's pretty addictive, isn't it, Chuck? I'm pretty hooked. Yes. Uh, you can go to www.kiva.org slash team slash stuff you should know, right? Yes, absolutely. And join or check it out or whatever. So, Josh, I'm just going to call this one a uh, question that uh, has been answered many times, but Sean doesn't know the answer. It's <laughs> a great title for this one. Uh, Chuck, Josh, uh, Chuck, Josh, and Jerry, I missed the Facebook questionnaire because I was at work and my job uh, prohibits Facebook. Mm-hmm. Thank God for SYSK, ABC News, and yes, Stuff Mom Never Told You podcast. It helps this 24-year-old newlywed understand his smart, wonderful, beautiful, but very complex wife a little better. Those are the best kind. His question is this. Who the heck is Hippie Rob? I'm pretty sure I've listened to all the podcasts. You clearly have not. Uh, Even the ones before Chuck. So which one explains Hippie Rob and uh, all my cube mates? who also listen are wondering the same thing. That's, we need to know. Cubemates is not a word. Otherwise, it's just a boring inside jokes uh, joke that drives us nuts. Oh, wow. So. Sucks to be you, pal. P.S. Jerry, at least cough or something. No SYSK listener believes you're real, and we wouldn't put it past Chuck and Josh to make you up. This guy is really suspicious, one, and yeah. demanding, two. Sean of Virginia Beach. A little bossy, Sean. Get with the program, buddy. Yeah. The answers um, are out there. Sean, we're going to do a reverse on you. I'm not going to say who Hippie Rob is or where the origin is. 
So, Sean, actually, instead of telling you who Hippie Rob is, where he came from, etc., we're going to put a uh, request out to our listeners. The first person who sends us an email and tells us where Hippie Rob first appears, what episode, and in what capacity that he's described, right? Yeah. Uh, if you do have that info, send it to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. <laughs>